You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. similar to the song that Mary sang, which was called Mary's Magnificat, which was in the book of Luke. Before we begin, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for your grace each day. But Father, as we examine your word, we just pray that you would bring conviction and understanding, illumination, and that you would enable us to see the essence of who you are. And I pray, Father, this would not just be words of a man that tries to bring forth the text, but that you would bring true conviction and understanding of your word. And we ask this to your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So beginning in verse 10, Hannah is now making a shift in her praise. She goes from praising God for all his marvelous attributes to now turning her thoughts to God's judgment. She says this in verse 10, those who contend with the Lord will be shattered against them. He will thunder in the heavens, and he will give strength to his king, and will exalt the horn of his anointed. We understand and know that God is sovereign in all things, and he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. So as we think of this text, we realize that God is omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he is also a just God and a merciful God, and yet his justice will be carried out for all those who not turn to him for salvation. As we look at this text, we understand the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Hannah's warning in the first portion of verse 10 is a warning for all. This admonition also comes with an encouragement of God's provision over his people because through this we see a prophecy of God bringing forth a king over Israel. But even greater is the promise of the anointed and the word anointed translated in from the Greek is the word Messiah so this is a picture 
of God not just providing a king over Israel, but this is also a picture of the future provision for all mankind of our Lord Jesus Christ. This conclusion mentions a king provided by God, although God's Messiah, which is the Hebrew word for anointed, highlights the importance of Hannah's song as an introduction to both books of Samuel, both 1st and 2nd Samuel. Hannah foresaw that God intended to meet Israel's need by providing them with a king. God would provide a king to rule over Israel, and in the chapters following, we'll be seeing that fulfilled in King David. Hannah's prayer rises up to a prophetic glance at the consummation of the kingdom of God. Just as the Lord keeps the righteous and casts down the wicked, he will also certainly judge the whole world and cast down his foes and perfect his kingdom. The king, which will be over all of Israel, will be a king that God uses greatly. The expansion of the power of Israel is through David and his repeated victories against God's enemies. The success of kings of house, uh, the house of David goes on in advancing the spread of the kingdom of Christ and will eventually attain to its eternal consummation in judgment of the last day through which all the enemies of Christ will be made to be put on his footstool. John Calvin makes a quite an incredible statement in his commentary on 1 Samuel 10 to 10. Before a king had been established over Israel, the people, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, describing the happiness of the godly, already says in her song, God will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his Messiah. By these words, she means that God will bless the church. To his corresponding prophecy, there is an added little letter, a little bit later. The priest whom I shall raise up will walk in the presence of my Christ. And there is no doubt that our Heavenly Father willed what we perceive in David and his descendants, the living image of Christ. Accordingly, David, wishing to urge the pious to fear God, commands them to kiss the Son. To this corresponds the saying of the Gospel, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Therefore, although the kingdom collapsed, because of the revolt of the ten tribes, yet the covenant of God made with David and his successors had to stand, just as he spoke through the prophets. I will not tear away all the kingdom for the sake 
of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. But to your son, one tribe will remain. This same promise is repeated a second and third time. It's expressly stated, I will afflict David's descendants, but not eternally. Sometimes later it is said, for the sake of David, his servant, God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem to raise himself up a son to protect Jerusalem. To sum up, while all others were passed over, David alone was chosen as the one in whom God's pleasure should rest. After Hannah's song of thanksgiving, Elkanah went back to his family, verse 11. Then Elkanah went to his home in Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Eli went back to his home, but the boy Samuel now is serving at the tabernacle under the tutelage of Eli, the high priest. There he ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest, to serve the Lord, which is interchangeably to serve in the presence of the Lord in that translation. It was the duties performed by the priests and Levites in connection with worshiping God. Samuel took part in it as he grew up under the supervision of Eli, according to his instruction. Israel's hope for grace is represented by this young Samuel, whom his parents left behind in the tabernacle. Remember, when Hannah prayed for a son, she also said that, that her son would be dedicated to serve the Lord for all his days. So she dedicated Samuel before he was yet born. First and second Samuel is the use of contrast, as I mentioned in my opening statement. Faith and trust Hannah had in God, contrasted by the arrogance and hostility and jealousy of Peninnah. Remember, this was the second wife and of Elkanah, and she was always jealous of Hannah. Hannah prayed for a son, God blessed her with a son, then Peninnah was even more hostile towards Hannah. And we see the contrast of the wickedness of the sons of Eli contrasted with the holiness and goodness of Samuel, the young man that's being mentored, serving under the priest. The reason for these contrasts is the grace of God at work in a dark world. You know, we think today it couldn't get much worse. But as we go on in this text, we'll see just how bad it can get. In the early 1740s, an American pastor by the name of Samuel Blair complained. He said this, 
Religion lay, as it were, dying and ready to expire its last breath of life. This is part of the visible church, end quote. However, God at that time was on the brink of launching one of the greatest revivals in church history. It was called the Great Awakening, which dates to that very year in 1740. God had been quietly working behind the scenes, preparing what would soon be broadcast on the front pages over throughout the world. A similar situation is seen in the early chapters of 1 Samuel. The contrast between Samuel and Eli's sons does more than warn us the way of the wicked. It is a sound reminder that God is always at work to carry out his providential plan. So when we look and see all the evil around us, we don't lose hope because our trust is in our almighty God. Yes, we pray for individuals, we pray for their salvation. We sometimes pray for God's judgment to be carried out, but we know that whatever is happening is part of God's providence. Even amid the wickedness and unbelief, there's always hope in the grace of God. We live in a perilous time. In fact, Paul, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, pins this. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, <clears throat> malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal haters of good, <clears throat> treacherous, <clears throat> reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied its power. And then he gives this admonition, avoid such men as these. Now, when Paul was speaking of the last days, that actually began at the incarnation of Christ. So we are in the last days. We can take comfort in Christ alone, that he will return in glory. Paul in this epistle to the Philippians brings this great encouragement. Chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So we, above all, have hope. We can sometimes lose heart when we see the corruption and the wickedness and yet understanding that our citizenship is in heaven should transcend what we see here on earth. <clears throat> Israel's hope 
for grace represented by Samuel, whose parents left him behind in the tabernacle to serve the Lord at the tabernacle. The introduction of Eli's sons tells us clearly what kind of men they were. Verse 12, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. That's a very condemning introduction to who Eli's sons were. These men, Hophni and Phinehas, these unbelieving men, were considered and entitled worthless men, which refers to their spiritual condition. <clears throat> the words worthless men translate to agents of destruction. They were the children of Satan. To say that they did not know the Lord was to say that even though they had access to the Pentateuch and the divine religion, as well as the knowledge and theology of the rituals of worship, the demands of God's holiness, and all that is given in the Pentateuch. It was a crisis for Israel that such men of spiritual depravity were considered priests in Israel. That also was pictured by the deadness of Hannah's womb prior to God blessing her with the child Samuel. As we go on, verses 13 and 14, it says, And the custom of the priest with the people, when any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Now we have to remember, Shiloh is where the temple was, not the temple, excuse me, the tabernacle was located. And faithful Israelites would come from all over to Shiloh to offer sacrifices to the Lord. They would bring choice offerings. And yet, here these men, these two men, these two sons of Eli were taking this actual sacrifices that were supposed to be offered to the Lord. Can we just stop and think about what that meant? They were desecrating the tabernacle. <clears throat> the wickedness of Eli's sons also reflects in how they treated the offerings that were brought to the Lord at the tabernacle. Those priests who served at the tabernacle were given instruction provided by the law of Moses in Leviticus 7, 34 and Deuteronomy 18, 3. The law of Moses did not matter to Hophni, Hophni and Phinehas. They didn't care. <clears throat> they sought only to satisfy their fleshly desires. These priests would take the meat which was being brought for the sacrifices to be offered to the Lord, and they confiscated it from the faithful Israelites. In verse 15 and 16, also before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say, the man who was sacrificing, 
Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take the boiled meat from you, only the raw. If the man said then, they must surely burn the fat first, and then take as much as you desire, then they would say, no, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. What a horrible thing to think about. This is the sacrificial place to worship God. And they were stealing and taking these sacrifices. Verse 17, thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Those Israelites that would come to Shiloh to worship God and offer sacrifices were devout to God. They came there only for one purpose, to bring glory to God, to sacrifice to God. <clears throat> this was a travesty, truly, in the sight of the Lord, and in the sight of all the Israelites, those faithful Israelites, as they saw these men come in and desecrate the tabernacle, they spread the word. <clears throat> We find uh, the seriousness of which the Lord takes priestly misconduct in Leviticus. Now I'm going to read the whole passage that refers to making an offering and what happened there. In chapter 10 of Leviticus, beginning with verse 1 through 11. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord, and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will treat as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, kept silent. Moses called after Mashiach and Elzaphon, the sons of Aaron's uncle, Uziel, and said to them, Come forward, carry your relatives away, from the front of the sanctuary to the outside of the camp. So they came forward and carried them, still in their tunics, to the outside of the camp, as Moses said. Then Moses said to Aaron and to his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your cloths, that you will not die. For he will not become wrath. Will he not become wrathful against all the congregation? But your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, shall bewail the burning which the Lord has brought about. You shall not even go out from the door, or the way of the tent meeting, or you will die, for the Lord's anointing oil is upon you. So they did according to the word of Moses. The Lord then spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you 
nor your sons with you when you come into the tent of meeting so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout all your generations. And so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane and between the unclean and the clean. And so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. John MacArthur did a conference. It was entitled Strange Fire. And it was a conference that many took part in. He spoke also uh, Phil Johnson, Justin Peters, and several others spoke at this conference. And the title was Strange Fire. The importance of understanding how vital it is to worship God with a pure heart. I'm gonna read an excerpt from that book. I didn't go to the conference, but I do have the book. How vital it is to worship God with a pure heart, understanding the God we serve is the one in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In his introduction of the book, he speaks of Nadab and Abihu. They violated the instruction revealed to the Levitical ceremony regarding the burnt offerings given before the Lord. Nadab and Abihu were, by all appearances, righteous and respectable men and godly spiritual leaders. They were priests of one of the true, of the true God, and they were Levites. Nadab was heir apparent to the office of the high priest, and Abihu was next in line after him. They were the eldest sons of Aaron. Moses was their uncle. Their names had been placed on the list of nobles of the children of Israel in Exodus 24:11. These two brothers, together with 70 elders, were privileged at Sinai, where the people of Israel had been instructed to stand the foot at the foot of the mountain and not to go up to the mountain or even touch its base. That was given in Exodus 19:12. While God was up there talking to Moses, even if an animal strayed in to the skirt of Sinai, they were to be killed. From the base of the mountain, all the Israelites could see was that of the smoke surrounding God and Moses. <clears throat> and they saw smoke and lightning. But Nadab and Abihu were allowed by the Lord himself to come up and bring 70 elders. And they saw God and they ate and drank. That was in Exodus 24:11. Nadab and Abihu were closer to God than most anyone. No other Israelite except Moses himself had ever been given a higher privilege. These men seemed to be godly, trustworthy, spiritual leaders, as well as faithful servants of God. 
No doubt Israel esteemed them highly. This caused all of Israel to be shocked when God suddenly struck Nadab and Abihu dead with a blast of fire. This apparently occurred on the first day of their service in the tabernacle. Aaron and his sons were anointed in a seven day long ceremony when the building of the tabernacle was complete. So this was a big celebration before the Lord when the tabernacle was completed. Aaron offered the first sin offering ever made in the tabernacle. And the, cere <clears throat> the ceremony was punctuated with a miracle. In this, fire came down out of heaven before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. In other words, God himself sent a consuming fire on this sacrificial meat offering. <clears throat> Moses records the events that happened next. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their prospective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which had not been commanded of them. And they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. So when we think of that, that was from Leviticus 10, 1-3. Most likely, this is what MacArthur says in his book, Nadab and Abihu had taken fire from some other source, not what God had provide, provided through the blazing fire, but they, in their offering brazen on the altar, they used something else to light it, whether it was coals from a fire from the camp or something of their own making. The actual source for which they obtained their fire isn't recorded, so we really don't know. The point is, they used something other than the fire God himself had provided. They violated the very ordinances of God in the Levitical law, the ceremonial law. This offense may seem trifling to someone who's accustomed to the type of casual, self-indulgent worship of our generation, which is known. They did not treat him as holy or exalt his name before the people. The Lord's response was swift and deadly. The strange fire of Nadab and Abihu ignited the unquenchable flames of the divine judgment against them, and they were incinerated on the spot." End quote. This is a very sobering account as we think how casual some are this day in some places called the place of the church and worship. What is called worship is actually a desecration before a holy God. Of course, MacArthur in this whole conference goes on to say of the heinous things that are practiced by 
some of the tele-evangelists and some of the charismatic movements that just mock a holy God. The account is sobering and it has implications for the church today. If it is a serious sin to dishonor God and to treat him with contempt or to approach him in a way that he detests, those who worship God should never approach him in ways that he detests. As one approaches God, we need to understand that we should always reverence our Lord in humility as he is holy and omniscient and omnipotent. God is also just. We have another example amongst the numerous examples in the Old Testament, which is shown in Acts, and we're all familiar with it, Ananias and Sapphira, <clears throat> when they are instantly struck dead after lying to the Holy Spirit about what they had withheld. The author of Hebrews gives this stern warning in chapter 10, verse 31. He says this, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We have lost the understanding today in the universal church of how reverent we need to be before our holy God. <clears throat> Verse 17, thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. This contempt that these two priests showed towards God's holiness was such a wicked desecration at the tabernacle. Even more contemptuous was their sexual sins committed by Eli's two sons. They would seduce the woman, who, women that, who would come to take care of the tabernacle, who should have been treated with utmost chastity but rather they were treated like a pagan temple prostitute. This conduct by the high priest was despicable before God. Their wickedness had impacted devoted Israelites who came there to Shiloh. <clears throat> and it spread through all Israel. It was a vivid desecration, the other mockery of the most holy I God. This should be really a powerful illustration of how spiritual leaders today should understand that their moral conduct can have upon the church. When we hear of a Christians professing to be Christians have some immoral scandal and it devastates the true body of Christ. <clears throat> they're, they're not even sensitive to who God is or his holiness or the purity that God desires us to pursue. The scriptures are replete with admonitions of such unholiness. Therefore, <clears throat> having these promises Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh 
and the spirit perfecting the fear of God and holiness. That's in 2 Corinthians 7.1 where Paul was addressing him to repent and to become the people that God had called them to be. Paul also exhorted the Ephesians to put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in the righteousness and holiness of the truth, Ephesians 4.24. <clears throat> and in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this, for God has not called this for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. The word sanctification, of course, is from the word agiosmos, which is also translated holiness in other passages. So God has called us to pursue holiness. The author of Hebrews gives the instructions this way in chapter 12, verse 9. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather respect the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our own good, so that we may share in his holiness. So when a Christian is disciplined, it's actually a blessing from God to bring us back to a place where we repent and turn to God and follow him. And then pursue peace with all men and sanctification without which no one will see God. That's in Hebrews 12, 14, I believe. Verses 18 and 19 of chapter two of Samuel. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing the linen ephod and his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Behind the scenes is the contrast to Eli's corrupt family, the family of Samuel. If God works powerfully in faithful individuals, how much more powerful is the presence of God for those godly families? Elkanah and Hannah, we see the value of a loving, godly involvement with one's children. They love God. They would travel every year to the tabernacle to offer sacrifices unto the Lord. And they wanted their son, at that time their only son, to be set apart for God all his days. One reformer uh, made this comment <clears throat> regarding Samuel's mother and father. His mother would make a little robe each year and give it to her son Samuel. Even though Hannah and her husband were imperfect sinners, such as we are, they loved and cared for their son. Hannah would make a new robe every year for her son as he grew in stature as well as in godliness. So as Samuel grew, his mother would make another ephod, which is like a short robe that the priests would wear. <clears throat> the ephod of the high priest was a sacred garment of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and fine 
twined linen worn by the priest. The ordinary priest, that was by the high priest. The ordinary priest wore simple linen ephods, as did Samuel. In verse 20 and 21, then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went to their home and the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. So their faithfulness and their love for God of giving their only son as a servant for God, God blessed them with five more children. Hannah's spiritual faithfulness was also seen in the increase of her families. Every year, Samuel uh, would be able to see his parents and they realized how he was growing faithfully. The word of the Lord in both verses, verses 20 and 21, Eli's blessing as the high priest was not fruitless. It wasn't just statement by him. He was praying and imparting God's blessing upon Hannah and Elkanah. Here again, we find Eli invoking the Lord God Jehovah in giving this blessing to Hannah and Elkanah. Eli's words were fulfilled. The Lord Jehovah God visited Hannah, that is God sovereignly blessed him and they had more children. In the final portion of verse 21, it says, and the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. As Samuel grew in age, as well as stature and favor with other men, he was maturing into a godly young man who was also growing in favor with the Israelites as they observed his spiritual maturity. For us, those who have children, we're given instructions and commands to follow in order that we may honor and glorify God. Children are a gift from the Lord. And the blessing of having children is also given to us through God's word. In Proverbs chapter six, it says this, my son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck when you walk about. They will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and a teaching is light. <clears throat> disciplines are the way of life. Reproofs and disciplines are the way of life. That's from Proverbs 6, 20 through 23. And scripture is replete with instructions for parents to govern over their children. Those that don't have children, we have the privilege of being able to be an example before the youth and the children in our fellowship. So everyone has the privilege of being able to be a godly example before the families. I'm going to stop here because we're at the breaking point for our class, but 
I just want to focus on the one major theme of this text, and that is the glory of God, how great a God we serve, and how holy a God we serve. May we impart that as we live day to day. May we honor the Lord in our hearts, in our praise, in our behavior. God says, you love me, obey my commandments. By his grace, we can do so and bring glory and honor to our Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how you are such a holy God and you reveal yourself to us from your word. You give us your Holy Spirit to enable us to understand your word, to be able to practice your word. And we want to praise you today and pray that you continually be honored and glorified as we continue our worship service. May you be glorified with the songs and praise that we offer before you. And may all that we do through responding to the message we get from your word, that we re respond and ponder the things that are said and bring glory to you by applying truths to our lives. To your glory, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.